All right, let's go to the book of Romans, please. The book of Romans. Go to chapter number one. We're going to start this great study in the book of Romans. And I think it's going to be a great help to us. Powerful truth. This first chapter is... uh, contains a lot of very deep truths, uh, a lot of very pertinent truths as far as mankind, where we are, uh, what we could become if the Lord wouldn't have saved us. And so very powerful. Uh, It deals with the depravity of man. We would see in this chapter what would happen to each one of us if we were to turn our hearts from God and live for self. In this chapter, you would see what you would become if you when that gospel was presented to you, if you didn't receive that, if you remained in a lost condition. And when you were, before you were saved, when you were born physically, you were born separated from God. That means that uh, you didn't have God inside of you. He did not have a place in your heart. There was a place for him, but he wasn't there. And so God's concern for you as a person that's been procreated, that has come from Adam, is for you to be born again. Because that new birth, what it does is it regenerates you. It places the Spirit of God into your heart, into you. I thought it was interesting. I heard this one, um, I was reading this article about this uh, man. He was talking about the brain. He was talking about the heart. And he was talking about how the brain functions on its own. You know that, amen. And it develops, uh, it has neurological points where it it, uh, sends uh, signals and so forth and operates totally independent of everything in the body. And then he says, what is interesting is your heart does too. And I thought about that. That's so interesting. Your heart also has points, uh, neurological transmitters and things that operate totally independent of the brain. When the Bible says to be saved, it says that if you believe in your heart that God hath raised them from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So the Lord in our physical body is giving us a illustration of a spiritual truth. How that salvation cannot just be a part of your brain. It has to be a part of your heart. And it's different. Your heart is separate than your mind. Your heart is not your mind. Your heart is that place in you that that's the things you love the most, so the things you hold, hold dear. Uh, that's where your treasure is. For your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What comes out of your mouth is from your heart. The things that you say, not the things you say when you're on guard. Not the things you say when you're around people you want to put on a good impression. But the things you say when you're comfortable, when you're not protecting yourself, when you're not caring what anybody thinks around you, what comes out of your mouth, that's what's in your heart. Amen? And so I thought about that, being born again. It's more than just having a a story of Jesus in your mind. It's having a trust in your heart. It's a separate organism. It's a separate aspect. That's why the Bible says that we believe in our hearts 
as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So your heart thinks. Your heart thinks independently of your mind. <laughs> I thought that was just so interesting how the Lord made us to illustrate that particular point. But Romans, this chapter here is just so powerful because the end of the chapter, we're not going to get there today, but it talks about our depravity. It talks about what would happen if you would just reject God and say, I don't want to know about God. I don't want to talk about God. Where would you go morally? That's what Romans chapter 1 is about. But before we get there, what we have is the answer given to us. We have the solution given before he actually tells us what would happen. And so I want to talk about that today. This message I've called separated unto the gospel. Separated unto the gospel. And we see that in verse number 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would just guide and direct this message. Lord, use this to speak to our hearts, to encourage us, to help us to see what we need to do as believers. And Lord, if someone's lost here today, what they need to do to be saved. I pray you just bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, it says this, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So, this is the thing. When you're born physically, you're bad. But do you understand that you're not as bad as you could be? You stand by God's grace. The Bible said that he lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And by his grace, he brought you into this world not as bad as you could be. He brought you to a place where you can understand. Where you could understand the gospel. Where you could receive the grace of salvation. But the Bible says, if you get to this point in deception in your heart and mind where you love sin and darkness so much, where you do not like to retain God within your knowledge... He says, I will give you over to reprobate mind. That means you're going to get to a place where you don't even care anymore. You get to a place where you don't want anything to do with God, and you've all met people like that. I want nothing to do with that. It's reprobate. But that also has an impact on the morality of the individual. See, because if you're not going to glorify God and make him the focus of your heart, you're going to make something the focus of your heart. And I'll tell you something, you'll always become that which you love the most. If you love God most, you're going to become more like the Lord. That's why the Bible says not to make idols of things that are created on this world, or animals, or four-footed beasts, or birds, and so forth, because if that's what you begin to worship, that's what the morality that you will become. You worship a pig, you'll become a pig. He says, there's no image that I want you to worship. And that's why he said in the law in Exodus 20, thou shalt make no graven image. Not because he's scared of a piece of stone or he's intimidated by it, but because when you begin to worship something other than God, you actually become like what you worship. And so there's one image that we're supposed to worship, and the Bible says that's the image of his son. 
So if you have any other image there other than the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, that's what you become. And he wants you to worship Christ because that is the only image. When you worship him, the Bible says you become like him. From glory to glory, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18. Amen? Powerful truth. In, we, in this passage, we see a key verse to how the Lord gave us a way to escape this reprobation of mind, to escape this outcome of depravity, of reprobation. And we see that in Romans 1, 16 and 17. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The apostle says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel of Christ? I've had some people uh, you know, try to explain that. and I've, they, Well, it's just the whole Bible. <laughs> I said, okay. So Sodom and Gomorrah, that's the gospel? <laughs> no. The gospel is very specific, and you'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1. This is what it says. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. He's talking to born-again believers. It says, by which also ye are saved. So there you go. It's this gospel that's going to save you. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. That means unless your faith was here and not here. Oh yeah, preacher. I love it. Amen. Or, dear God, I need you. Oh, Lord, I need salvation. I'm lost. I need Christ. Oh, I'm supposed to get saved? Sure, let's just do this, just to make sure. (laughs) That's hid. That's believing in vain. Lord, if I die, I'm going to hell. And I'm afraid. The Bible says that the devil holds the power of fear over us because of death. When we get saved, it's a heart belief. It's right in here. It's not this... Sunday school, just, oh yeah. <laughs> it was so sad, I was watching this video. Uh, I don't know if you, there's this, I'm not going to mention the organization, but the organization had these two guys and they were actually interviewing Elon Musk. And this is a Christian organization. So they did all their questions and right at the end he says, I, you know, got one left, last question for you and he says, we're a Christian organization. And they just said, yeah, we were wondering if you would just do us a solid by praying and receiving Jesus right now. To Elon Musk. And he's just, <laughs> what does that mean? So in other words, they're just saying, you pray this prayer, I mean, you're in. You just say it and it's in. It's some magical incantation that if you just say this, you're going to be in. And, and uh, so he just starts talking. He's like, well, you know, geez, I'm for the principles of Jesus. And this is Elon Musk talking, you know, you know, do unto others. And he's talking about all that. And he says, you know, I wouldn't have a problem with praying to Jesus, that there was something he could do to help me? They said, oh, there he did it. So here, live in this interview, they make this statement that somehow Elon Musk got saved because he said, I would pray if there was something. (laughs) He didn't understand. He was speaking from here. Not from here. And I thought, what an opportunity you blew there, guys. And I really believe that they wanted to be saved. I give them credit for even trying. Most people wouldn't, (laughs) you know. 
But man, if you're going to lead someone to Christ, please show them their need. If they don't get saved, they're going to hell. They need Jesus. And you need to tell them why they need him. He's just not some magical person that if you say his name, you'll be saved. He did something for them. <laughs> he did something for all of us. It's called the gospel. It says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. The gospel, which means good news, is a three-point message. It's that he died for us, he was buried, and that he rose again. So when the Apostle Paul says here in Romans chapter 116, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He says, I'm not ashamed of the message that Jesus came and died. I'm not ashamed of the message that he was buried, nor that he rose again. In fact, it's easy to talk about death and burial, but it's a whole other thing to tell somebody about someone raising from the grave. That's usually where Paul got in trouble. <laughs> Amen. This Jesus rose from the grave. That's the gospel. So Paul said, my life, I'm Paul, a servant of Jesus, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. This is my purpose. This is why I'm breathing. This is why I'm here today. I'm separated unto by the way, you're not so far from that. I know he had a special calling and he's an apostle, but every one of us that are born again have been called unto the gospel. That's your ministry. Your ministry is a ministry of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your ministry when you go to the job site isn't how much money I can make today. <laughs> you can just praise God that while you're doing the ministry of God, he's paying you. But while you're there, you're being an example of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're taking the opportunities you can within the parameters of what the boss allows you. Amen? You don't take the boss's money. You don't take his time and spend an hour witnessing somebody when he's paying you to stack, to ship, to do whatever. You work, you don't steal from your boss. But on break time, They'll watch your ethic. They'll watch the way you handle problems. They'll watch the way that you handle the, the difficulties of life. They'll, they'll talk about their partying this weekend and how their head hurts. And they'll see how you come refreshed every Monday morning, trusting God and talking about what you learned in church. Then on break time, when things are settled down and they're looking at you, this is where it all starts coming up. Then you start talking about Jesus. You give them your testimony. You tell them what God has done in your heart through his son dying on the cross for you. And because that's happened to you and you've been saved and the Bible says you've been called as well. We're supposed to preach the gospel to every creature on this planet. You're not left here just to bide time until Jesus comes. You're left here for a purpose. You're left here to be a witness of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And we're supposed to preach the gospel to the whole world, the death, burial, and the resurrection. He says, I'm Paul. The word Paul means little. This is a name that was given to Saul, the Pharisee Saul, after his conversion to Christ. There's no longer a Saul, but now I'm Paul. He's speaking of his conversion. Each one of us, when we got born again, we probably should have got a new name. Because I'm a new creature in Christ. 
Well, we may not change our names when we get born again, but the Bible says that in heaven he's got a new name for us. The day you got born again, he wrote down that name. If I would have known that name, I would have said, call me that. But we don't know it. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. Amen. He says, I'm Paul, a servant. This means a slave. This is one who is permanent in a permanent relationship of servitude to another. His will being altogether consumed in the will of another. See, our theme verse is talking about what's over there today. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What that means is that as you learn to follow the Lord, what you're learning to do is let go of your will and begin to live your life within his will. See, Paul was a servant. Well, he wasn't a servant because he was being whipped to do it. (laughs) This word servant actually means a bond slave. You know, there was never a slave within Israel that had to continue doing that till he died. There was always a time that God appointed where there'd be a year of jubilee. And within that year, the Israelites were commanded that any servant that you have has to be released. But then he gave special instructions to those servants that began to love their master. And I love it here. I love working here. And I I love being a part of what you're doing here, boss. And and I don't want to (laughs) go. Well, the Bible says there was a certain thing they had to do to show themselves as a bond slave. So now by choice, I give myself to serve you, to have your will, my will consumed by yours. That's what Paul is saying. He's not being forced to do anything. Well, they're making me go to church. Well, you're not a bond slave yet. You may be a slave (laughs) to mom and dad or to somebody, your wife. (laughs) But maybe there's got to come a time in your life where you choose. Where you choose. That's what Paul did. The Romans would have understood the word Paul is using here. There were over 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Slightly different mentality. A lot of them were there because they had to. This type of servant cannot be compelled, but must freely relinquish the will, their own will to the will of God. See, our will is far too alive. Well, this is the way I want it. That's your will. Whenever you put the I in there, that's you. <laughs> well, I'm not going to listen to you, preacher. Who, who are you to tell me what to do? Well, I can see your will is very alive. Well, I don't like that passage. <laughs> well, I wouldn't either if I wanted to live my own life. There's a lot of verses I would cut out of this book if I wanted to live my life for myself. Starting in Genesis 1.1. <laughs> you understand that? God has called us to be a bond slave. Not to force us. In fact, he wants us to choose. He wants us at that that year of jubilee, the the year of your salvation when the chains are taken off. He's got you on the slave block. You were there. You were bound by sin. You were being sold to sin. And you would have been destroyed in that state. But he came and bought you. He said, I'll take that slave. And then he took your chains and he unlocked them and let them fall to the ground. And then he walked away. He says, hey, 
If you want to follow me, you can. Follow me. And I'll make you to become fishers of men. And he keeps on walking. Just like the day when they were on the, on the, uh, the sea in the boat and the waves were crashing and, and they were saying, oh, we're going to die. And they were bailing the ship and, oh, what's going on? And all of a sudden say, Jesus walking by on the water. And the Bible says it's like he was going to walk on by. <laughs> what? It wasn't like Jesus running there. Oh, I'll save you guys. He's just going for a stroll. He says, boys, I told you you were going to the other side. I'm just going to beat you there. <laughs> oh, you little faith. Why didn't you believe what I said? If I said we're going to the other side, don't you believe that's what's going to happen? Save us, Lord. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 9.19 says this, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. There's probably not a time in any servant's life, any preacher's life, any servant of God's life in the church that did not question their decision to make themselves a servant to others. Man, should I? Oh, is this really worth it? But you make that choice. It's not that they're worthy to, for you to be a servant too. But you make that choice. Paul served Christ according to Christ's will. Paul served others according to Christ's will. <laughs> so when you become a servant to others, you're not saying I'm going to do what I'm going to I'm going to let your will encompass my will. You're saying I'm going to let Christ's will encompass my will and I'm going to serve you in the will of Christ. That's what you're saying. That'll keep them from saying, well, then do this for me. Because <laughs> they would have a list of things that they want you to do. Say, no, 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 I'm not here to do your laundry. Unless I really, unless the Lord wants me to. But I am here to help you. And in order to help somebody, you've got to become a servant. Paul knew that. He says, I'm Paul. I'm the converted one. I'm a slave. I'm a bond slave to Christ. Then he also says, I'm called an apostle. This means that he was sent by the authority of Christ himself. This is not just any servant. This is a particular kind of servant. And by the way, there are no apostles that are living right now today. Well, I met one. No, you didn't. <laughs> well, I know this church. Well, you know a church that's not telling you the truth. There are not a hundred apostles. There, I mean, when the Pope dies and they vote in another one, that's not another apostle. That's what they believe. They believe based upon Peter's uh, actions in Acts chapter 1 and voting in Matthias that somehow now, whenever one dies, we vote in another one over the church of Rome. It's not true. In fact, there's, very, there's a lot of requirements to become an apostle, and if you knew those requirements, you probably wouldn't want to be one. Amen? Fully authorized and sent by Jesus Christ. An apostle is more than a disciple. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says this, And it came to pass in those days that he went up into the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. 
So not every disciple was an apostle. So you can't say, I'm an apostle because I'm a disciple. But out of the disciples that he called to himself, among those he chose 12. Very special calling here. Christ chose Paul. Called to be an apostle. That means invited. That's actually one of the things that are, is required for you to be an apostle is you've got to be invited by Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> Every apostle was personally invited by Jesus Christ, personally called by Jesus Christ. In Romans 1.5, it says, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. He was called to apostleship for obedience of the faith. Obedience is necessary for God's people to fulfill their calling. Whether you're an apostle, whether you're a servant, whether you're a preacher, whether you're a church member, whether you're a, a, a person singing behind the pulpit, singing a special, whether you're playing the piano, if you want to do anything for God, you have to be obedient to the faith. And there is only one faith. And you need to be obedient. If you're not obedient to it, then you're not qualified by God. He was called in Acts 9, verse 15. He says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen. Now he's talking to Ananias here. And he told him to go talk to Paul. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Well, there you got me. That's what I wanted. I wanted to suffer. <laughs> That's why many people, if you could see the qualifications of the apostle, you'd say, I don't want to be that. That would have to be something you know that God calls you to. That's why as a preacher or a pastor, you're not, you don't pick it as a career. Because I'll tell you something, when the heaviness comes down and the thing falls on you, you've got to know that what's holding you there is more than just loving the people, more than just what they pay you on a salary. It's got to be, I'm here because God called me here. And sometimes a pastor, that's all he has to go on. Because I've seen pastors who they're all, all the people turned against them. Paul even said that. No man stood with me. Can you imagine no one standing with you? What's going to hold you there? What's going to keep you faithful? Oh, well, if nobody wants me, then I quit. Well, I'll tell you something. When you're called of God, you don't have that luxury. When you stand alone, you have your calling. That invitation, that thing that God has put upon you, that's what holds you to the fire. That's what holds you to the pulpit. That's what holds you to the ministry. And everybody will forsake you, but you continue. The calling of God. That's why some of these young men, well, I want to preach too. So you better make sure you're called, son. Well, I can preach. <laughs> Maybe. You may be a better preacher than me. But all I'm saying is you're not going to preach yourself in a lot of these situations. You need God's calling. You got to know it. Because sometimes that's all you're holding on to. Lord, I'm going to stick with this because you called me to this. If I didn't have that, I don't think I'd be a preacher today. I surely wouldn't. Romans eleven thirteen says, For I speak to you Gentiles, and so much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. He was chosen to a very specific place 
of being an apostle to the Gentile people. An apostle was a part of laying the church's foundation. So I, I look at the church as a building. You say there's a foundation, there's walls, there's a roof, and so forth. And the Bible tells us, in 1 Corinthians 3.10, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. The apostles are the foundation builders. And guess what? We don't need more foundation. The problem is we're having a bunch of churches today thinking that we need to lay some more foundation. That's why they want to give you prophecies. That's why they want to speak extra biblical. Folks, we have the foundation laid. We've got the word of God. This is all we need. We've got everything the church needs to thrive and to do the will of God. We do not need foundation. We need building. We need bricks. We need lively stones to make up the walls. Amen? You start focusing on the foundation, all I know is this, you're not building walls. Because the foundation has to be laid before you put the walls up. Anybody knows that. And Paul said it. I've laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. Ephesians 2.20 says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Acts 2.41. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And in breaking the bread and prayers. The apostles' doctrine, the reason why it said that is, there were no written letters at this time. Matthew to Revelation didn't exist. So when Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit empowered the church to go forward, all they had was the oral teaching of the apostles to lead them. And so they submitted to the apostles' doctrine. But it didn't take long. After that, the James wrote his epistle. And we had the book of James. Then we had the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians. And then we had the book of Romans. Then we had the book of Galatians. And one after another, the Lord was building the foundation of the church. And they had these letters that they would send to each one of the churches. And they would begin to pattern their lives after the words of that book. The words of those letters. And now we have them so wonderfully packaged in a whole book like this, called the New Testament. We got the Old as well. And it isn't amazing that the Old, hand in glove with the New. The New is the Old Testament revealed, and the Old is the New Testament concealed. But they're the same. They say the same thing. Amen? An apostle was given the ability to perform signs and wonders. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, it says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So when these churches were established, they, why, did, why did the apostles have to do signs and wonders? Why? Well, the Lord determined it so. Do you know even the signs and wonders that the apostles did were actually in answer to a scriptural principle? It's not what people are saying is going on today. <laughs> What's going on today with a lot of these false teachers saying they're doing signs and wonders has no purpose within God's economy. 
but the apostles did have a purpose. And not only that, before that, Jesus Christ had a purpose. The reason why he went about healing was to prove that the Old Testament scriptures were talking about him, the Messiah. The Pharisees knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if the Messiah would come, he would come healing. They knew that he would make the blind to see. They knew that the lepers would be healed. They knew that the Messiah would do that. But when Jesus Christ came, they looked at him, but I don't like this one. But they knew. In fact, in their writings, it was already written. They knew exactly the qualifications of the Messiah. But they rejected him. So why did Jesus go about doing wondrous works? To show his people that he was the chosen Messiah. Why did the apostles go around doing signs and wonders? Well, Jesus Christ just happened to tell us that. If you read Mark chapter 16, the last part of the book. Oh, in fact, the part of that book is a part that a lot of people say, oh, that shouldn't be in the book of Mark. Well, no wonder. I can see why you wouldn't want it in the book of Mark. (laughs) Because what Jesus was doing is telling you what was going to follow those that were going to come after him that were going to give the message of the New Testament epistles. These signs shall follow them. (laughs) They will drink poison and not die. They will speak with tongues. That all happened with the apostles. It was so that the people would know that these men were authorized to orally speak to them new doctrine that have never been heard before, and that is why the apostles did signs and wonders. It was an answer to what Jesus said (laughs) directly. In fact, one of the things that Jesus said in the book of Mark was this, serpents will bite them and they will not die. What happened with the Apostle Paul when he was stranded on the island and he was stoked in the fire? A poisonous snake came out and bit him. Then all the people said, oh, you must have really sinned. They did all of this in the short time it would take someone to die being bit by a snake. But then when they realized he wasn't dying, they looked at him, oh no, he's a god. (laughs) They went, they went from you're the worst sinner on the planet to being God within 10 minutes. No, the reason why he was bit by a snake and he didn't die is because Jesus said that would happen in Mark chapter 16. So what he's telling everybody is saying, listen to that one. They're going to tell you things that you need to submit to and when he writes it in a book, you take that letter and you treat it like the word of God. Amen. Amen. So if you can go around there raising people from the dead today, healing leprosy, (laughs) making the blind to see, I'll say, great, wonderful. I'm so glad you could do that. But it means nothing to me. Because I don't need it. I've got this. Your miracles mean nothing to me. Sure, great. Oh, did I ever doubt that God could do that? Well, he made the word, the world out of nothing, okay? So he can heal you, yes. But that doesn't prove you're good, you're spiritual, or the person that healed you is good and spiritual. All that means is, well, great, you're healed. <laughs> when I was saved, I was guaranteed a glorious body. I'm already healed. It doesn't matter what kind of 
disease racks my body, what kind of joints I have today, or, or how hurt I am when I wake up in the morning, or whatever, my ankles, my joints, my head, whatever it is. It doesn't matter, because I am already healed. I'm guaranteed a new body. I just got to wait a little time for it. You get that? So you getting your old body fixed up a bit just so it can die again is not really impressive. I'm getting a new one. <laughs> That's impressive. How you can take this <laughs> and make it into something glorious? <laughs> that, my friend, is a miracle. <laughs> An apostle was given the ability to perform signs and wonders. An apostle was a witness of the resurrected Christ. In fact, if you didn't see Jesus Christ resurrected, you ain't no apostle. Acts 1 verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John into the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. See, Peter was trying to replace Judas that killed himself. So he knew the qualification. He said, guess what? We're going to have to replace one of us with someone else that has witnessed the resurrection. Amen? Now we can talk about whether Matthias should have been voted in. <laughs> Amen? That's another message. 1 Corinthians 9.1 am, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have not I seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? Paul says, we're talking years later, have not I seen the Lord? Well, where did you see him? He was already ascended by the time you got involved. Well, that's what made him an apostle. He saw him. The Bible's clear about that. 1 Corinthians 15, 8. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So he says, I was one of those witnesses. I saw the resurrected Christ. Well, where did you see that? 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tells you about a time where he was caught up to the third heaven. And before he started his apostle ministry, the Lord taught him personally in the third heaven. And then he went and told that message. Now, has that happened to you? <laughs> then you're not an apostle. An apostle was taught by Christ. That's why it says, I'll read this passage in 2 Corinthians 12 too. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. I mean, it was a confusing situation. Never happened to him before, amen? How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. And then he was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Because the, the abundance of the revelations that he was given as he came back and taught the people. An apostle was also one that was called to suffer for Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, For I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. He says, God appointed us for a very specific reason. And he appointed us to death. The only apostle that didn't die by martyrdom was the apostle John. But he was dipped in oil, alive, 
Then he was exiled to Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation as he was healing on the salt mines of Patmos with burning scars all over his body. I don't know which is worse, dying or being that. But yet he was the only one. The Bible also, the tradition tells us the Apostle John was made to drink poison and he didn't die. That's when they dipped him in the oil. See, he was an apostle. Paul was an apostle. Peter was an apostle. I remember I went to this one church in Kenora. We were looking at the pews. We were thinking of buying their pews. And it was an apostolic church. And I found a bookmark on one of the benches. And I looked at it. And it it was a picture of this man in this very nice suit. And it said this underneath, the chief apostle. I thought, oh, I just found the chief apostle. Isn't it interesting that the apostle Paul, who truly was great, would never say it, but he was. He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I don't think that person qualified to be an apostle on the little bookmark that I found. By the way, the Bible tells us in his heavenly city, there are 12 thrones of the apostles. So there's a whole bunch of them out there today. Sorry, guys, don't get a throne. (laughs) And you're not sitting on Peter's lap. That's all there's to it. I understand that the apostle, the, the office of apostle, that door is closed. There's nobody that's going to become an apostle because the foundation is laid. We're building upon that foundation today. The Bible says that he's given us apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The first two were foundational, apostles and prophets. But then it says evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Evangelist would be your modern-day missionary. They'd be the one that would go out and start a church somewhere in Africa or, or even here. When I came here, I'd be, I did the work of an evangelist. And, and now I've taken upon myself the work of a pastor because I mean, that's what God has called me to be. And I'm doing this for the perfection of the saints, for the perfecting of the saints. Why? For the work of the ministry. Why? For the edifying of the body of Christ. So preacher, you need to get some more people in the church. No, no. It tells me to perfect you so that you could do the work. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I'm not scared of doing the work. There's not a week that doesn't go by that me and my boys aren't here setting up. Inconvenient or not, we got to do it. Whether we're tired, whether I'm sick, it doesn't really matter. I take the vacuum, we vacuum the rug, I can see there's still some garbage on the floor. We do that. It's the work of the ministry. But you know something? The Bible tells me maybe it's my lack of perfecting. Maybe I need to preach the word of God in such a way that you become more mature and perfected so you see your obligation and your ownership of what this really is. This is you. The body of Christ is you. It's not a building. We know that by just being in a hotel. And when we move into that building, that's just still a building. The body of Christ is the church, the people. 
And the people have to take ownership of themselves. They have to look at the other members and look at them and say, you know what? That person is hurting. I need to help them because if one member suffers, we all suffer with it. And I don't want to see someone else suffer because then my children suffer and I suffer and the preacher suffers and the Sunday school teachers suffer. We all suffer. So surely we wouldn't be a part of those that would start nitpicking and criticizing people in the house of God trying to amputate the very hand off of my own body. Very common today. You've got people amputating their own bodies. Would you do that? Would you take your hand today and take a saw and go home and, yeah, I hate that hand. People do that in the church. For we are members one of another. Amen. The same body. You're not an eye or an ear. Maybe you are an ear and another one's an eye. One's a pinky. One's a picky toe. One's a big toe. One of you has got to be the knee because it's not me. <laughs> you don't want my knees. You understand that? The Apostle Paul knew if he was going to be separated to the gospel, then he goes into, and we'll be done now. I just wanted to share this with you. The next passage of Scripture talks about how the church, their faith was spread abroad, known throughout the whole world. He says, I want to come there and I want to establish you. I want to set you firm. So while we're all where our faith is already spread abroad, he says, yeah, you still need establishing. Can I tell you something about the church of Rome? Does it sound familiar to you? The church at Rome? <laughs> something happened at the church of Rome. During the terrible persecution underneath Nero and the following emperors that were killing Christians within the capital, within Rome, feeding them to the lions, killing them. They had an emperor that came on the scene. His name was Constantine. And he says, you know what? Hey, I've had enough of this. Let's make peace here. So this is what I want to do. I want to make the church at Rome a part of the empire. Now, he went to the pastor about that. He says, I got a position for you. I'm going to give you this position and it's going to pay you very well. You'll be well rewarded. He even promised, I'll make you the uh, St. Peter's Cathedral. I'll build you wonderful buildings. And that pastor said, no, sir. No, sir, that's, that's compromise. After that pastor died, his assistant, who happened to be with him during that meeting, went back. Hey, uh, I know that my pastor said he wouldn't, but... I will. And thus began the Roman Catholic Church. That's how it began. <laughs> Compromise with the Roman Emperor, Constantine was not a born-again Christian. In fact, he, he was filled with superstition and so forth, even about Christianity. It's not that he didn't think about Christianity. In fact, he wanted to be baptized and he made sure before he died, I was baptized just so I'd go to heaven. <laughs> but when the emperor first started that church, he made himself the apostle. After that, they separated the positions. Now he made another position of an apostle. They called that the pontiff the Pope. So ever since that time, whenever one Pope died, they voted in another one, and this one's going to die, they'll vote in another one. That was all because of a compromise 
of the church at Rome. The one that spread their faith abroad. (laughs) The one that Paul says, I want to go and establish you. Don't ever think that we can become so strong that we will not compromise. We must stand in the truth. We must continue to stay under the preaching of the word of God over and over and over again. And we cannot compromise because we can be brought down that road too. Now I'll never become a pope. (laughs) But we can sure lose our candlestick. And I don't want that. Paul says, I'm separated unto the gospel. The gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection is carried by churches that do not compromise the truth, that carry this message in a pure vessel, and they sacrifice and suffer to make sure it gets across. And the devil's doing whatever he can to stop it. Remember that scenario. I don't want to become like a Roman Catholic church. That was a compromise. And ever since then, see what they did is now they allowed the apostle to now to speak ex cathedra. And what that means is whatever they say can be taken on par with the scripture. Why? Well, that's interesting because, well, the apostles are laying foundation. See, that's why whenever you have a church that says we have an apostle, what they're saying is, we want to give you new revelation. 66 books of the Bible. And when that revelation, that final book was written by the Apostle John, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Period. That's why folks got to remember, got to be, be careful about the tongues movement. Well, I'm, I'm, we're talking in heavenly language. Well, <laughs> I got a heavenly language. Oh, but I'm saying exactly what you're saying. Well, then why do you need to speak in tongues? Folks, there's something wrong here. And I got a whole lesson on that too. But folks, I just wanted to lay this out for you today. And I want to get a little bit further. But this aspect of the apostle being an apostle, the Paul being an apostle, separated unto the gospel, 13 of these books are here because of that man. Because God used them. At the end of those books is a period. And that's why we look at those books as the foundation for the New Testament church. The Gospels aren't the foundation. They're important. But the book of Acts is a bridge that's built from the Gospels to Romans. You understand? So you, gotta, you always got to think in context when you look at the Gospels. <laughs> It's important. I don't, I don't say none of it is for us. It's all for us. But you've got to put it in its right place. But the Romans and the 13 New Testament epistles are written specifically for the doctrinal structuring of the local New Testament church. 